Tonight's episode is brought to you by Vendetti Optics, Sherpa.com, and you, our listeners. Mic check, mic check, mic check. Mic check, one, two, one, two. Sounds good. What is up, all of you Wayward Souls, and welcome back to the Wayward Stories podcast. Wayward Stories is the podcast where we tell stories of adventures in self-discovery, adventures in the great outdoors, a little bit of travel, a little bit of soul searching. We're kind of a potpourri of all things. Um, I don't smell like potpourri, unfortunately, for myself and anyone who's ever near me, but our show is a mishmash if you will, of all things that have to do with um, out there exploring. Basically, it's a show about exploring ourselves, Mother Nature, the world, anything and everything. So what we do is we explore. I want to thank everyone who's been sharing the show and implore any of you who have not yet. If you're listening every week and you're enjoying every week, if you can just take literally probably take less than two minutes of your time just to go into your podcast player and give us like a five-star rating. Hopefully, you know, you can give us a one star if you think I suck, but then if you think I suck, why are you listening to me every week? But it's your prerogative, whatever you want to rate us. But if you could just go in there and rate us, and even if you could drop just a couple of sentences and say, Hey, I enjoy it for one reason or another, you have no idea how big of a difference it makes for us. Um, you know, we provide this podcast out of the passion of my heart because I love making it, but that's the beauty of podcast. And one thing I love about podcasting is you don't have to actually pay for the content. Like I have so many audiobooks that I had to pay for through Audible that I listen to throughout my day. Podcasts are the best because my payment to a podcast is listening to a stupid commercial I don't want to hear. Much like you guys get to listen to one in our show every night, but that's what you pay for the content you're listening to, right? There are a lot of content creators out there that have Patreons and stuff, and it's kind of like, okay, well, here's our normal feed, but if you want exclusive behind-the-scenes content and extra shows every week, pay us $5 a month. That's awesome. I actually have a Patreon, but I want to tell you guys something like, and we can talk about this for a second because it's been on my mind. I think I'm just going to clean shut down Patreon. Like, I mean, I'm not making money yet. And Patreon's a great idea. Okay. For, for independent artist, the starving artist out there. I mean, it's fair. It's a great idea. If you want to support your show for a dollar a month, like you pay 12 bucks a year for some content, that's cool. And you're helping someone live out their dream and be an independent artist. Mm, that's not quite big enough yet necessarily to have advertising like our advertising. We don't make money off of it yet. That's me practicing for when we do. And we're getting closer to reaching those numbers we need to reach to be approached by advertisers or for us to go approach advertisers. But they're literally there basically as timestamps so we can cut actual real paying commercials into those slots after the fact that is building a foundation properly so we have things in place so it'll flow better down the road when we do get those but right now they're just practice i'm gonna make a new one actually pretty soon um but they're just practice and getting you guys used to there will be ads in this at some point because i would love to make some money off of this thing that cost me so much money the patreon it's a great idea and it's fair but for a quick example there's a show that I love very much, 
and they have Patreon, bunch of Patreon people, but they also have multiple, multiple ads. Like you guys listen to like one sixty second ad in this show every night. In this show, you're going to get four or five of those. They do get annoying, but hey, they're making their money. And I respect that. I respect that hustle. Okay. Like I don't have a problem with that. What I kind of do have a weird problem with is, is, and now this is great. Okay. Don't take me wrong. This is great. They donate like 20, no, 10% of everything they get in their Patreon to a good cause every month. They talk about it. They let you know who they're donating to, whatever. And that is awesome. The problem I have with it is, is the implication beyond that. It's like this month we were able to donate $15,000 to the such and such. And that's like, awesome. Great. That means how much are you getting in Patreon? Oh my God, $15,000 is 10% of a whole hell of a lot of money on top of the five ads I'm already listening to. So I'm not paying you anymore. I'm definitely not sending any more Patreon. That's great, but I'll donate to my own things with my own money. You're making a killing and that's cool, but like I'm listening to the ads. If I'm paying on Patreon, I should it should be ad free for me, right? It's kind of like one or the other. It shouldn't be both. Anyway, that's just a little, I don't want to call it like a tangent, but it's something I have a little bit of an issue with, like just internally. And I don't feel right about it. I don't even feel like my words are valuable enough or even entertaining enough for you guys to pay me. So though I had a Patreon and high hopes early on, I just, it doesn't feel right to me. It doesn't feel right. I think I'm going to hustle until we get to where we have ads. Um, actual paying ads. And then that will be the income stream because that's kind of the old model. And that's honestly seems just a lot more morally sound, so to speak in some weird way. Y'all don't come at me and roast me. Like, I don't want to get into any kind of battle about if it's morally correct. Cause I'm not saying it's wrong. It just doesn't feel right to me, at least for me and my show. I don't feel right about it. So I'm not going to really do that with Patreon. But anyway, just that's actually a good little bit of housekeeping that we probably needed to touch on at some point and give you guys a peek behind the curtain, what goes on behind the scenes, how our podcast made, how do people get paid for this crap? Um, but yeah, we'll move on. Let's get into the show. But I just kind of wanted to touch on that. Um, and also, it did I say this already? I've had a couple of takes of this first five minutes. I've had some technical difficulties. So just in case I did not already say this in this cut of the first five minutes of this show it's very windy outside so it's very noisy outside tonight you guys may hear some banging like i can't find what's banging on this this structure right now um as the wind blows and i can hear it pretty well so you may hear it bleed through and i just ask you guys to be understanding about that because i do not have a direct line to god or mother nature or whatever created this world that we live in and so i can't really like ask pull any favors you know what i mean so it just might be a little bit noisy in the background so what are we going to talk about tonight let's get into it well first of all like it's going to be texas we're just going to talk about texas tonight y'all here's the deal about texas texas is pretty cool um i was born in oklahoma so i am like born bred and it's in my blood like i am genetically obligated to despise texas okay that's just that's how we're raised. That's what we're supposed to do. Um, and it mostly has to do with football. Boomer Sooner, right? Born and bred. Boomer Sooner. But the truth of the matter is Texas as a state is absolutely an incredible state in many different ways. It really is. And we're going to talk about it really a lot tonight. And I know everybody's been to Texas. Um, at least most people have, or at least been through it, but there's a whole lot to Texas. Um, 
I got to travel Texas extensively about 12 years ago, between 10 and 14 years ago, we had that stretch and I've mentioned it before. We'll talk about it um, now and I'll give you a little bit of background on it. Um, I worked on that production. Um, the very first actual television show production that I was a part of produced and co-hosted was called Hidden Histories. Um, I can't find any existence of it in the world anymore. I mean, partially because it failed. Like, take that. Understand that first. Like, you guys hear me talking about my time in film and video production. I'm not like low key flexing on you guys. Like, understand up front that we failed at it. Okay. Like, I mean, we, well, to me, we were successful. We're a bunch of small town, let's say rednecks or farm boys from a tiny town in southeastern Oklahoma with like one dude taking a film class in the local JUCO. And he was like, this, hey, this would be fun. And those of us that had the creative mind of any kind, any kind of artistic side, were like, oh my gosh. And you start realizing film and video production, this is fun because it's not just one art form. Like, it's not just like photography, which is still photography. It's not just music. It's not just, um, like, say you're into ma like painting or any kind of art like that. That's going to be set dressing. That's going to be building sets for these things to be filmed on. That's the cool. It's not just, um, being an author. It's not just writing stories and screenplays. It's all of them. Film is all of the art forms in one place. And there's so much fun in me being the analytical minded person that I am and who loves to approach problems and find every different aspect of it and say, okay, well, here's the end product. This is how I do things. I like to see the end product in my mind. I like to be able to envision. I want to create that. What will it take to create that? And then you start kind of backwards engineering it. You start taking a piece at a time and going, well, to achieve this, we're going to have to have all these things. And to achieve this aspect of it, we're going to have to have all these things. And you get to backwards, you problem solve through the whole deal and you backwards engineer through the whole thing. And it's like a whole on creation process. And I absolutely loved it. Like we just leaned right into it. And we were young, y'all. We were full of, you know, whiz and vinegar, as they say. We were out there trying to find a place, make a name for ourselves. We we're out there, young men trying to be something and do something. And everyone has dreams of being a rock star, right? Um, and we tried and I'm proud of what we accomplished with our little, very little education and you know, coming from the, the upbringings and the, and the area that we were from, that's not exactly, you know, an art, at least that part of the state, it's not exactly, um, an art heavy and art rich part of the state. It's just people trying to get by and make a living and, and do their normal everyday lives. I'm proud of where we got to. We went from making little cruddy little films for his college class to at a JUCO to winning awards at big, big film competitions to getting invited and starting working in production and hidden histories is where it started. Um, and we even like, I mean, I was the second assistant director on a B-roll flick. You can go get on DVD or DVD right now that had like 50, 60 crew members. We had like literally Hollywood talent. I mean, it was, wasn't a, a, a list talent by any means. I mean, the budget was like less than $2 million, but second assistant director is basically a logistics manager for the whole thing. You tell people when they can go poop and pee. And that's not a joke. You literally, they have to ask you, Hey, I need to go 10 too. <laughs> behind the scenes, film industry, 10, two means I need like 10 minutes because I got to go poop. 10, one is I got to go pee one and two. Right? So anyway, you tell them, no, you can't. 
hang on to it because we have to finish this. We're running out of magic hour. We're running out of light for this scene and we have to get it cut tonight or whatever. Like that's what you do. So we achieved some things. And even though ultimately we all basically went bankrupt and our two little TV shows, you know, you can still get a couple of DVDs of our second show on the fringe. Um, that was much more us. And we were less of a say contributing part of, but much more, the full production team of you can still get a couple of those DVDs out there on Amazon. Most of them are now unavailable. Um, we aired in Europe for a minute in like, I think it was 19 or it was 17 countries. It's been a long time ago, like online digital content streaming, um, through this company in LA and through the middleman that was in Houston. But it also like aired on like their version of public access, you know? So like, get this, like $2.37 royalty checks would come maybe once every couple of months. That doesn't really pay the bills. So we failed, but we actually didn't in so many ways. And I'm still proud of it. Even though it was a failure, I'm still proud of it. But my point is I wasn't trying to flex on y'all. Um, but it is cool. And it's a cool, like a good way to explain the background of kind of where I'm coming from tonight. It's going to be talking about extensive travels throughout the state of Texas. And we're going to talk and focus specifically on the hill country region, because I think actually over the course of this show, six months from now, two years from now, I can come back to other experiences in Texas and get more content out of all these travels. But the hill country to me is easily the, one of the most exciting and most fun places I got to spend a lot of time in. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. So what is a good way to describe the Texas Hill Country? Like it's actually very diverse. Um, gosh, Texas is very diverse. Let's talk about how big Texas is. Y'all know, y'all have heard that Texas is the second largest state next only to Alaska, but Texas is incredibly diverse. It has 11 different eco regions. Okay. Very nuanced, but 11 different equal regions. And to like kind of, not to get into it deep, but like the eastern half of Texas is like the eastern, southeastern United States. There's more kind of hills. There's there's forests. There's some lakes. There's some rivers. The southern edge of Texas, at least the southeastern section of Texas, is a Gulf Coast region. has its own ecosystem. Up towards the north of Texas, you're getting into the southern plains. Out to the west, you're getting into the desert in Mexico. And you go further up in the panhandle, you're starting to get into a high plains turning into desert situation. Like as soon as you hit the New Mexico border, you're kind of in that area. That's just like five of them. There's 11 distinct and nuanced ecoregions. But like that's how big the state is. Is this like geo, geo, um, geographically and ecologically? It's all over the place. Y'all, we used to joke. You could drive through Texas for three weeks and never be out of Texas. Like, it's a little bit of an over-exaggeration, but not not by much. Um, I think I read something online when I was doing a little research to um, have some backstory for tonight's show. That one of the towns, I think, up in the northwestern part of the Panhandle is literally closer to like four or five other states, state capitals, than it is its own state capital in Austin. That's how big Texas is. Um, we used to joke. See, when we got into this and did the hidden histories aspect of this, um, we got into it with a company and some folks that were based out of Houston, Texas. And um, my co-host and one of the other producers, she was very, very 
pro-Texas. Texas is better than everyone at everything. Like they say everything's bigger in Texas, not really just the egos. That's about the only thing that's actually bigger in Texas. And she was one of those. And we used to like, we had our ways of giving her a hard time. We'd be cruising across Texas and look back at our camera oper- operator. and I'd be like, yo, Jorbo, did you know in Texas, little known fact, trivia, did you know that Walmarts are open 25 hours a day? And then he would laugh and he'd go, ha ha Did you know that in Texas, years have 366 days? And we would just go on and on like that. It's like, I feel like every time I cross the border from Oklahoma into Texas, it's like suddenly we're in HD. Everything's in high def. Um, they added an hour to the day just for us. Like, and she would get so mad at us. But, you know, she was a little overbearing with her love. But she's not incorrect in saying that Texas is an awesome place. It is absolutely awesome. So the hill country itself, it's one of the most beautiful regions in my opinion. The The Northeast in the Piney Woods area of Texas where you get Caddo Lake, we have an episode about that if you wanna go listen, um, go back several episodes. Up in that region is very beautiful. It's like an extension kind of of the area of the southern portion of the Washita Mountains that bleed over into southeastern Oklahoma and southwestern Arkansas. Um, that's a very beautiful area, but this region is a different kind of region, but it's beautiful, very beautiful in its own right. It has lots of rolling hills, karst uh, topography. So you've got a lot of caves, a lot of cave systems. There's a, some major bat caves. Maybe you guys have heard of some of that down there in Texas. There are places where they have those bats come flying out of those caves right at dark by the billions. Um, they can see it on like the radar at the local weather station kind of stuff. That's a lot of that happens throughout this region. The hill country starts kind of roughly around San Antonio. Um, it's not quite dead on, but it's around San Antonio and it moves west over toward the border with Mexico. It's one of the, I'd say, smaller eco regions, but it's really, really cool. And what you got going on in the hill country is it's known as Texas wine country. There are a billion and four wineries. There are a crap ton of breweries, especially in Fredericksburg. And we're going to talk about Fredericksburg tonight because it was founded um, by German immigrants and it's very, very proud of its German heritage. There are breweries everywhere. Um, there's so much stuff going on in the hill country and the hill country alone in and of itself is worth like a week vacation. Y'all, y'all could probably spend two weeks down there to explore everything it has to offer. Um, and even a little bit on the fringes of what you would call the hill country that are absolutely amazing that we'll talk about in the future as well. But just in the hill country alone, you guys, you could spend so much time there. I'm talking probably literally weeks just exploring if you had it to give. And I think you would enjoy every second of it that you spend um, in that area. So let's talk about, let's start with a shoot we did in the Dripping Springs area of Texas. And it's in the more eastern part of the hill country. We shot in the great, we, we filmed on a ranch further out into the, just outside of Dripping Springs. Dripping Springs itself, awesome little town, awesome little town. But we were on a massive, one of those huge Texas ranches um, out on the outskirts of Dripping Springs. And what we were doing, like with Hidden Histories, like it was basically a history show that was supposed to be, like it was my brainchild. And it was supposed to be about um, essentially historical oddities and the little or known, the lesser known facts of history. Because you know me, I'm all about what could be. We talk about it. Hell, a whole lot of that informs this show and what I'm about in these days of my life. 
Um, but that's kind of what it was supposed to be about. And it sort of got hijacked. That's why we didn't do it for very long. Like we actually left there almost after a little bit of a hostile takeover. And we'll talk about that just a little bit later because it actually plays a role in tonight's story. But down there we were actually doing a whole lot of what it became is like a history channel wannabe reenactment show because the crew that we worked with, one of them was a stunt man who was also a horse wrangler and had a whole bunch of horses so we could do recreations like out the wazoo. We could recreate anything historical, man. We could do Civil War stuff. We could do Old West stuff. There were so many things that we could do. And so they were like, OK, well, I guess let's play to our strengths and our actual resources. This is what we have. So we did a whole lot of shows that had a whole lot of horses in them. But. We're out there in Dripping Springs on this giant ranch, and that was really cool because we got to explore really the hill country, like back in the hill country, back in kind of the, I mean, it's on a ranch, so it's not exactly wilderness, but it's still wilderness. These ranches are massive. It's not like they're improved throughout. And we were down in these little Arroyo things. We were shooting around old abandoned buildings with the, you know, made out of the local stone that were from the 1800s. Texas has so much history. And it was so beautiful to shoot and be able to walk through those tall grass prairies and go down in those Arroyos. And like, I know that I was there on private land, but those places exist for all of us to go and hike. They are out there, down there in the hill country. One of the things about the hill country that is amazing are the wildflowers. If you guys like flowers, if you love long, looping drives that just kind of cruise in, in a serpentine manner and just roll across the countryside through rolling hills, man, the hill country, a day trip or a week trip driving through the hillside or the hill country is for you, man, especially in the spring. The prairie flowers are absolutely gorgeous. And we're out there walking through this waste high grass with all of these freaking prairie flowers going down into these arroyos. And it's absolutely beautiful out there. It is stunningly beautiful out there. And there's a funny story like you get into like all the travel aspects. We drove, we drove and drove and drove and drove. Like we shot all over Texas. And because of that, we like basically never left Texas as for like seven or eight months. And it just felt like you were always in Texas, always, no matter where you went. But there's a huge travel aspect to that, you know, and kind of why we're touching on it tonight in this show, which is supposedly more outdoors related. But this is about travel and all the things we got to do out there in the outdoors. But one of the things we came across after we had done that dripping spring shoot, I think we went from there directly to. Oh, I want to say Brackettville. Yeah, to Brackettville. But I'm trying to think actually what I was my brain was getting a little hung up on there is where did we stay? There was a night we had to stay and we stayed in this janky little hotel, y'all. And this little bitty dot on a map, not much more than a dot on the map for the whole town. And there was this little hotel there and I do not remember it, but I got to tell you about it because it's kind of a creepy story. And you run into these. If you're out there traveling, a lot of you guys like to do it. You got your cool teardrop campers, which one of those will be in my future someday, or you'll camp in the places that you can camp along the way. But a lot of you will B and B your way, which is totally cool too. I like to do that as well. And sometimes you just need a cheap room for the night just to sleep, to get on the road the next day. And that was the situation we were in here in this little town that I cannot remember what it was or where it was, but we stayed in this little crack hotel. And I mean, it was for real. Guys, it was out of a horror movie. It was straight out of the 1950s or 60s. It still had the thing in the wall 
for the men to put their razors in. Do you guys remember that? The little razor repositories that were in the bathroom walls of a lot of the much older places. There was so much in there. But the one thing I remember most about it is the bath was so gross that none of us wanted to bathe, but we needed it. We stank. We'd been out in the Texas sun for like three straight days, staying on this ranch in a cabin with no running water, filming and filming. And we smelled bad. Like five 25, 26 year old dudes, 27 year old dudes, guys, it was rancid. It was absolutely rancid. We could not just stand each other. We couldn't stand ourselves. And all five of us are in a big Chevy Suburban. It was bad. We needed to bathe and no one wanted to get in there. Like we actually went down to the Dollar General and bought flip flops to come back to that place and bathe in the bathtub. So we didn't have to stand in it, really stand in it. And I was still skeezed out by the water coming through the pipes. Like there was just something about it. It felt like we were going to die in a horror movie. But the thing I remember the most about it is it had not just an old CRT tube TV. I mean, at the time, flat screens were coming in. They were. They were starting to kind of come into vogue, but not everyone had one yet. And definitely not. I mean, even probably major hotel brands, definitely not this place. But it wasn't even like one of the old tube TVs or whatever that just had like the kind of plastic sides. You remember they'd be gray and they'd be black. No, this went back more generations. This was the one that had like wood paneling on the sides of it. And the most wonderful thing about that is that they felt the need to carve, carve with a knife or some other sharp utensil into the top of the wood paneling property of the blah, blah, blah motel whatever it was. It was carved in by hand. It wasn't wood burned in. It wasn't a little sticker or a plaque stuck on the side of it. No, like somebody just came in. It's like, everyone's still on their TVs. They stay here for the night and they do their whatever they do. And they walk out of here with our crap. So let's, we're going to have to like, and they did, they carved y'all. It doesn't get much more, much more janky than that. And so we're sitting there we were joking. We were all joking about we had guys sleeping in the floor. We had this one dude, our grip. Um, no, he was our sound guy. His name was Joe, and he always built what he called Fort Jose. And that was putting together two chairs and turning it into like a tent, into some kind of like a little thing. And that's what he would sleep on because, you know, we would draw straws over the beds and someone would just sleep in the floor. Like it was it was a low-rent operation, and we were in a low-rent place to match. It, it was logical. But – we're in there and we're trying to go to sleep and we're talking about a place like this has probably seen more than its fair share of murders. It's got to be haunted. We started joking about it being haunted. And I kid you not, the table, the lamp on the table that was across the room from all of us, there's enough ambient light in the hotel room from this coming in from outside that you can see. Everyone's in bed. Everyone's talking. You can even hear their location by echolocation. Maybe we're all a little bit of bat ourselves. But the table, the lamp on the table across the room from where anyone was located laying there, literally just fell off into the floor. And there was mass hysteria. Like lives were almost lost that night over the chaos that ensued as we're talking about this place, most definitely being haunted by someone that had been murdered here before. And the lamp just randomly with no possible way of being manipulated by one of us fell off the table. Anyway, it's a fun story. And I just thought you'd like hearing about one of the more horrifying experiences I've had in my traveling throughout my life. That hotel y'all is a place that if I ever come across a place like that again in the middle of the night and I really need a place to stay and I look at a room like that, I'm just not gonna, 
Like I'm just, I'm over that. I'm beyond that. I'm beyond that at this point. There are other places that, you know, I'll spend a few more dollars to uh, not get murdered in my sleep unless somebody steals the old tube TV. Anyway, we went on to Brackettville and I want to tell you quite a bit about Brackettville. You're going to love what's going on in Brackettville. And this is a destination for you guys to get out there to explore guys. I'm talking, you can do the hiking. If you're into birding Brackettville, they've got some awesome stuff going on with birding. They have like over 11 miles of trails, I believe. Um, and what Brackettville is, and it's called Fort Clark Springs. Basically there's the town, the area that's kind of Brackettville. And then there's like a resort community that welcomes tourists. It's called Fort Clark Springs and it's built. It's so cool. It's historical. It's built in an old military base. This fort is incredibly historic. Much of it is converted into rooms and things that you can stay in. And we had the pleasure of staying there because we were there to go to the Alamo. Not the Alamo you're thinking of. The Alamo that was built, the set for filming to be used by John Wayne in the original version of the Alamo. Maybe you've heard of it. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, I got to direct and co-host on the set It was a show, but on the very same set, on the very same ground that John Wayne himself directed and starred in, The Alamo. How cool. How freaking cool is that? Anyway, that's cool. You can go, actually, I don't know. I think that that's closed to the public now. I think I just read that, that they closed it to public tours like right after we were there. And it's only open, open to filming and special event type of situations. But that exists just outside of Brackettville, Texas. Just for what it's worth, you're only like 30 miles from the border with Mexico. And that's something I found fascinating. Like as we got close to Brackettville, we went through a border patrol checkpoint And we were like, yo, did we take a wrong turn? Because it felt like we were going into Mexico. Like, it was a whole thing. There were dogs. There were mirrors, you know, that they carry around and look under. There there was everything. They checked you out. And we're like 30-something miles from the border with Mexico. That, I didn't know that. That blew my mind. So expect that. You know, if you go running around down there, expect to run into that. Um. But it was so cool down there. Y'all, you're so close to Mexico, like, and the terrain is so cool. It's like still in the hill country, but it's really starting to kind of morph into, there's a little bit of a changeover where it's becoming more desert and it's really, really beautiful. And when you're down there, you can check out all of these trails. There's like over 11 or 11 miles of hiking trails. There's some biking. You can do birding. You've got the bat cave situation very close by. There's one of those major caves where a whole bunch of bats come flying out at dark every night. And it is a dark sky region there. It is a dark sky region down there. So if you're into astrophotography, guys, you photographers down there near Brackettville, that's what it's all about. Brackettville is beautiful. It's a really fun place to go. It'll take you nearly to Mexico. You're really close to multiple eco regions. Like you're in the hill country, but you don't have to go very far to the west or really northwest because you don't want to go straight west. You will be in Mexico. Um, You can start getting into more of the desert and the plains. And like, there's just so much there. Mostly you're going to be looking at some hiking, some photography, or if you're more of the bougie type, like you can, you can chill in historic Fort Clark Springs, which is a spring fed pool. Like guys, it's so cool. It's so cool. Just look into it. 
just look into it. We have ran on to the end of the first half of our episode, so let's get to our ad break, and we will come back with the rest of tonight's story, where we're going to be talking about a couple of beautiful places, one of being Enchanted Rock and Fredericksburg. They're very close together, and there's so much going on there, you're going to want to check it out. So anyway, we'll catch you right after the break. I want to take a second to tell you guys about tonight's sponsor, Survival Feeling. Survival Feeling is a hiking brand based in Greece, and they offer an assortment of gear that's aimed towards the goal of helping you better enjoy your time outside. And that is, of course, what we are all about here at Wayward Stories. I really like this company for a lot of reasons, but chief amongst them is that they were founded with giving back to the community in mind. They donate a portion of all proceeds to organizations like the Wildland Firefighters Foundation to help support those who work to keep us all safe while we're out there trying to find ourselves. We've partnered with them to bring you guys a unique coupon code that will save you wayward souls 15% off of your order. Go to survivalfeeling.com and use offer code waywardstories at checkout. Once again, that's survivalfeeling.com and use the offer code waywardstories. And welcome back. Thank you guys for sticking around through the ad break. So let's get into the second half of the episode. What are we going to talk about here in the second half of the episode? Well, we're going to talk about more hill country, but specifically we're going to focus on the Fredericksburg region and Enchanted Rock. Now, Fredericksburg itself is an awesome town. Y'all, Fredericksburg is absolutely gorgeous. It is absolutely beautiful. I mentioned earlier it has German heritage. They have some really cool breweries. They've got a bunch of really cool wineries, a bunch of shops. Um, The hiking, the biking, the birding, all the things that we like to go out and do and explore. Like It's got a little bit of something for everyone, and it's a great place to go. Y'all, you could spend three or four days there just treating yourself. We talked about that in the last episode. Every once in a while, you got to treat yourself. If you're more of a bougie traveler, they got everything you could ever want. But also for those of us that might want more of an adventurous aspect to it, you've got everything else that we like to do is out there. Even rock climbing up there in the um, in the Enchanted Rock area. It's, it's all there. They got a little bit of everything. The area is just completely beautiful. And we could spend... God, 20 minutes of this episode, we could fill up the last half of this episode just talking about all the things I did there and all the things you can do there. But like you can go Google and you can go see and you can go build your own itinerary. Um, It has a cornucopia, if you will. It's got a little bit of everything, a plethora. You can find what you are specifically interested in and you can go spend a week, a weekend. There's there's any number of things you can do. But I don't want to spend 20 minutes talking about that because you can look it all up for yourself. I want to talk about the experience of visiting Enchanted Rock. Enchanted Rock. What is Enchanted Rock? If you've never heard of it, you may be asking me. Um, First of all, if you have the opportunity, if you're sitting and listening to this and you're not driving down the road or you're not at work, Google it and get a look at it. It's it's a beautiful, beautiful feature. So what is Enchanted Rock? It is the second largest granite dome in the United States. It, pell, it I say pells in comparison. I was about to use a bad bit of language that doesn't describe it. It doesn't pell in comparison. It is second only to Stone Mountain in Georgia, right there in Atlanta, which has the big Confederate monument um, carved into the side of it that has come under some scrutiny and controversy as of late. Um, But that's the first largest granite dome in the United States. The second is right here in Fredericksburg, about 20 miles north of Fredericksburg, actually. Enchanted Rock, again, it's a granite dome, came from volcanic activity, 
as I've read from some volcanologists. Um, and it's like got a lot of fancy things and fancy words that go in there that I can't really fully understand, explain, or, um, pronounce for you. But basically a bunch of hot lava magma came to the surface and cooled in this giant dome. And there's a whole lot of stuff that goes into that. But what we're left with and matters to us here today is this a giant granite dome that has a lot of things going on for it. You know, the reason we were there is we were again there for a shoot and what's going on there is a whole lot of really cool folklore. I think the name of that episode was called Battle Texas. And I think we were there to film one of the folklore incidents of something that happened with either an outlaw or a soldier. But anyway, we got to explore it through and through, top to bottom. You know, the park attendants were right there with us. Like when you show up with a film crew, people are like, hey, yeah. What can we do for you? And they walked us through and they told us the whole story and told us a bunch of the folklore. And that's a lot of what's cool about Enchanted Rock. Um, There are many, many stories of folklore. It goes back to time immemorial. It goes back all the way to before recorded history in the U.S. to where we're in oral history and we're into the local native indigenous people and their stories. Enchanted Rock is one of those places. Do you guys remember right around Christmas time? The episode I dropped, it was called Sacred Places. Enchanted Rock would be one of those sacred places. It carries that feeling. When you get there and you set foot upon it, you walk up onto it, you climb up it, you can feel it. It feels different. It is absolutely one of those sacred places. Um, and I can't believe I didn't think to mention this, but in the last episode, I was describing the exact same thing. The Wichita Mountains to the north, quite a ways. Because you can drive in Texas forever and not get out of Texas. But to the north, we talked about the Wichita Mountains. The Wichita Mountains absolutely are one of those sacred places. Y'all, for real, real. One of those places that just feel ancient. You can feel, almost tangibly, physically feel the history that's tied to it. There's something there. There's an energy to it. You can just feel it when you're there. Absolutely gorgeous. Enchanted Rock is one of those places as well. And... I'm not the only one saying that. The natives of the area absolutely revered it. Many of them would not tread upon it. It is said that some of them offered sacrifices at its feet in order to appease it. It was considered a very spiritual place. The folklore that surrounds it is absolutely fascinating. Almost all the folklore focus on you know one or two kind of variations, but there'll be multiple versions of that variation. But they kind of focus on one or two things. One is for the natives. It is revered and respected as a spiritual place. And usually it's because a group of young warriors or some such ended up on that rock and passing on that rock and their spirits reside upon that rock. For some of the natives, it was where they thought that their ancestors came from. It was their beliefs that that's where they originated from. You find that in a lot of Native American lore, like the Choctaw people, which I have some lineage from. And I have a video about the Nanawaya Mound in Mississippi um, back in our YouTube feed. They believe they came out of a cave that was in the side of the hill. There. That's 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 extant in a lot of native um, origin stories. And there were local tribes, local indigenous people that believed they came from that rock. This rock itself, it juts up over 400 feet out of the rolling prairies, much like the Wichita Mountains do. Um, and it juts up by itself and it stands there prominently. Now, when you climb to the top of this, you have a 360 degree panorama 
of the Texas landscape. There is nothing blocking you in any direction. You are in the highest point for miles and miles. The only thing that's going to stop your line of sight is the curvature of the earth, which is round. Like, because science, okay? Because science. But the curvature of the earth is the only thing that's going to stop you. And to a certain degree, you can kind of get a sense of that. You can look far enough into the distance. Um, And it's absolutely has a magical air about it. You get on top and you're looking around. You can see the whole landscape. This rock, just it's it's beautiful. The kind of granite that it is, it has certain gleams and glints to it in the right sunlight. And it also has these little things called vernal pools. And a vernal pool, for anyone who is unaware, is essentially shallow indentions in the tops of the rock that will hold rain when it rains. But what's crazy about these vernal pools is they are their own tiny microcosmic ecosystems within these vernal pools. Y'all there are these things called fairy shrimp. They're actual living critters, not just bacteria. Okay. Like actual living critters that live in these vernal pools. And it's like, well, you're in Texas. It's hot all the dang time. It don't rain that much when you're getting out there further and further closer to the desert. Right. How do they live out there? Is there always water in those pools? No, there's not. It dries up. But these things, their eggs will actually survive the beating Texas sun. They basically go dormant. And then when it rains and it fills up, yep, they spring back to life and get back to making more fairy shrimp babies. And like they have a whole tiny microcosmic environment going on in these vernal pools. Like it's super, super fragile, but it's super cool. Like you have to be careful when you're up there. Um, but it's really, really, really fascinating to see all these little vernal pools and to be on top and to have this panorama of the entire landscape all the way around you. And when you stand there, you do very much have a sense that like, I don't know, it's, the only word I can find is it feels ancient. It feels like it has a memory all its own, thus making it by my definition in the Wayward Sons Dictionary a things in the world, one of those sacred spaces. And it was revered as such by so many people. And it's also in a dark sky park. Now, back then, of course, they didn't have dark sky situations because there were no electric lights. There was nothing but campfires, the globe over and it, you know, wasn't enough. That's not a lot of light pollution back then. Um, and when you stand on top of that at night, in the deep dead dark of night, even with today's bit of light pollution, it is in a dark sky park area. You can see the night sky as close to what our forebears and our ancestors and the people that came before and the people who inhabited those regions, you can see as close to the night sky that it's, as they saw. Now, it's not exactly because all the light that we are making on this earth does create a haze that even when you're in those areas that are dark sky regions, you'd be, uh, believe it or not, the light pollution from major cities the world over actually does get caught up in the atmosphere. It does create more of a haze than you realize, but you can see it as close as you're ever going to get to the way it was once seen. Other than all those thousands of years ago, because of the Earth's continuing tilt on its axis, um, actually this night sky does look a little bit different because since then certain stars have burned out. Other stars have been born like the North Pole to them or the North Star to them would have been a completely different constellation by a few degrees than what we use today. Polaris, the North Star, right? That's just, again, science. Science, y'all, science. Science is important for many reasons. But there's just something about the space. I can see it being revered because I revered it in a sense. I could see 
it being a place of probably ritual for possibly some people. So I didn't read anything about that, but anywhere that's a sacred kind of feeling place, places that humankind has come back to for, for eons, for thousands of years, for millennia, usually there's some kind of, of spiritual belief. There's some kind of ritual. There's something there that just feels special. And when you're there, you take part in that. You feel that specialness along with all those people that came before you. You tread in the steps of Texas Rangers. When you're going to Enchanted Rock specifically, that's one of the bits of folklore is a Texas Ranger hold up in the little crevices and cracks in the places on that giant granite dome um, to save his own life because the local natives were trying to kill the heck out of him um, because, you know, we white men were there taking all their crap and it's kind of funny, y'all, when you get into the history, and you'll see this a lot in Texas, a lot of the forts in Texas that still exist. There's another one, I think it's Fort Griffin, and it's way further north, but I spent a night out there um, because it's a dark sky park. And you get to reading the, the not literature, but like the plaques and the ways they describe the situations from, you know, the 1950s and 60s, looking back on a time from the 1850s and 60s, way before a more politically um, correct movement came along, which I like to think of as just, you know, everyone calls it the woke thing or everyone calls it PC. No, a lot of it's just actual truth. That's what gets lost when you politicize um, quotes like that. When you politicize terms like that, what gets lost in that is there's a lot of truth in a lot of those things. It's not all of them. Like I said, it goes way extreme a lot of times, but there's a lot of truth in it. Like we've definitely whitewashed our history and you go back and you see those plaques down there in Texas and some of them are there from 1967 or whatever. And it's like this fort was established to protect the innocent, God fearing Christian upright settlers who were just trying to innocently farm these lands from the savage inhabitants. And like savages is a word that gets used so often. And it's all about basically, well, obviously our culture is better. And like, we deserve this more. So like, why don't they just like get in line and let us Christianize them? And y'all, I'm not just like speaking off the top of my head. This isn't historical documentation. This is what we were trying to do is Christianize and civilize the natives. And they were just fine, just the way they were. They were happy alone and we intruded upon them. They were not savages and bloodthirsty. They were fighting back. They were fighting back against having their stuff stolen. Like, what would you do if someone came in your house and just walked out the front door with the TV? You'd probably try to stop them. That's the equivalent of what we were doing to them. And that's just a hard truth. That's not a woke statement. I'm not trying to be woke. I care about history and the truth. And that's just the truth. But anyway, you see a lot of that. And that's where this story of the Texas Ranger is, is these horrid savages were bloodthirsty and out to kill him. And he rode out the night there and was able to save himself. And that's one of the bits of history that surround Enchanted Rock. But you also get into, again, the native history. One of them is supposedly a young band of warriors. I think five brothers um, passed on that rock. They died on that rock because other warring tribes were trying to kill them and their spirits supposedly inhabit the rock and follow it. And there's another one that's got a love story attached to it and a young maiden. It's got all of the aspects, all of the bits and pieces of the things that make an area this special 
have such cool history, such amazing, fun folklore to look into. And there's so usually a grain of truth. Even when something's not substantiated by documented fact, there's usually a grain of truth in the oral traditions that get passed down. That's why folklorists are so important. Probably don't get paid enough and probably there aren't any jobs for them. But there's a reason folklorists are important and history is important. Like we kind of preserve the story of where we've been and where we're coming to. And it's really neat. It's really neat. Highly, highly, highly recommend getting out there and exploring these kinds of things on your adventures, guys. Like last week, we talked about a true backcountry type of experience, and that's a whole lot of what I love to do and a lot of us like to do. But there are a lot of places, too, that are protected. I mean, gosh, this place is a park. It is protected. It's a national natural landmark. As a matter of fact, it's national parks administered um, within that realm. But so is Yosemite and how many people go explore Yosemite? Like, I know a lot of people get turned off. I've actually had a couple of comments. They were not criticisms, but just some people saying like, yo, like you're getting kind of all travely on me. And I'm like, well, I mean, a part of exploring is travel, right? Getting where you're going and the things you can find along the way. And a lot of the stuff out there is not quote unquote uncivilized anymore. It's not backcountry because it's so amazing that someone protected it and turned it into a, like a tourist draw, like turned it into a place that people want to go see. Like there's nuances to this. It's all about travel and enchanted rock. Maybe one of those protected places with a parking lot that's real easily accessible, but it's also a really, really special place, a really special place with a beautiful history, a beautiful back um, log of folklore with beautiful night skies, with beautiful vernal pools, with a view, beautiful panorama. It is absolutely incredible place to go and check out. And I hope that you guys will. Um, and that was our shoot was basically again, talking about, the, I think it was the Texas Rangers situation. We had like a reenactor there and you know, cap guns and the whole thing, you know, they were fighting and doing their thing, but also we got our tour by the park interpretive um, officer or whatever, told us everything about it, explained all these stories to us, took us up and showed us the vernal pools and all the things that are on the top. Just absolutely gorgeous. But then we got to go back to when we left Enchanted Rock and now segue. Look at me. Look at me. Smooth as silk, baby. Go right into that segue. When we finished there, we got to go back to Fredericksburg because that's where we were staying. So as I mentioned, Fredericksburg's absolutely beautiful. Got all these things. I'm going to tell you a quick little story here. One of the things is when you roll into a town and you call the Chamber of Commerce and you say, hey, we're a film crew. We've got a production company. Here are our credentials. Here are our press creds. We're going to come into town. We're going to film something out at Enchanted Rock. But what you got going on in town, they roll out the red carpet for you. Now, keep in mind, like I told you, we were a small-time production, and ultimately we failed, so I'm not flexing, but I am telling you a fun story. When we were there, they roll. everyone wanted us. Everyone wanted us. Come to my winery. Come to my brewery. And we did. <laughs> Most of them. You take advantage of those moments, because here's the thing. People don't realize that for every two days you get, you know, for every two days you get to spend on the road, well, God, two or three hours of it are maybe super, maybe eight or 10 hours total are super enjoyable things. But the rest of it's all driving, being constipated from driving for weeks at a time. Like, right. Like, let's be real here. And every single episode constitutes about 90 hours setting really close to a super stinky guy in an edit bay, basically supervising and helping to edit your production. Like there's a very tiny percentage of the time 
that's actually glamorous. And for us, it was super small time glamorous anyway. It's not like we were that special, but they roll out the red carpet. We got free everything. Like we got hammered. We got hammered just filming one day, working our way down this trip because every winery wanted to be in our show that was going to air in Europe, right? Because they want tourists. They want their name to be known. Everyone was giving us free samples. This one brewery, they took us in, showed us their whole big brewing process. And then they gave each and every one of us this giant crawler full of their beer. Like I had two of them actually for years. And I eventually gave them away as gifts to people who did drink because I quit drinking. And I gave them away. It would have been cool to keep around, but I gave them away to people um, that really, really loved them as gifts. But they gave us these giant, we're, and there's like no open container law. You're walking down the street with your crowd. We got hammered. We didn't have a whole lot of usable footage from that day, to be completely honest. But we got all of this cool treatment. And somebody, when we were at that brewery and we're sitting at the table and they're going through the process and we got this camera guy over here and he's trying to film, et cetera, et cetera. This one guy leans back to me and he says, I wouldn't mind having your job. And I looked back at him and I was like, well, you know, days like today, I don't hate it. I absolutely don't hate it. And again, like I said, they don't see what you don't see is literally hundreds of hours of production on the other end of it. (laughs) There's like 90 hours of production for one hour of film, 48 minutes that goes on a screen. Um, And it's not fun stuff. That's not the fun stuff. But it's kind of cool. You get all that. We got access to so many places over the years into these historic. It was for me, I was in a kid in a candy shop. I got to go into places. A lot of people never get to go into. It's fun. That kind of stuff was fun. And I missed that part of producing those shows. But while we were there, you know, I actually told that little tangent, but there was a point to it is everyone wants to get a hold of you and want you to come film something at their location. Well, while we were in town, we had a well, we had the um, the Chamber of Commerce, the woman that was the point of contact in the Chamber of Commerce called us up. It was like, hey, right now, while you guys are here, they are having the last ever reunion of Pacific War Fleet veterans at the Pacific War Museum that we have here in Fredericksburg. And it's the last one ever. Like, basically, they've all passed. There's very few left. And this is the last organized reunion of these vets that's going to be here. Would you guys like to come down here? We were like, yeah, yeah, we absolutely. We've got to come check that out. Now, I'm going to tell you guys a personal story here. And it may be like, it's not TMI, but it may be I'm a little bit uncomfortable telling it because I don't want y'all thinking that I'm all crazy or woo woo or anything. But I I don't know. I just want to tell you this story because it fascinates me. It fascinates me. So we, right before this episode, we were at the very end of our time with Hidden Histories because we were kind of the victim of a hostile takeover in a way. Like the original site, my original brainchild, the original concept had been essentially morphed into something we weren't happy with. Our pay wasn't what it was supposed to be per the contracts, the contracts, everything was getting screwed up. Like anyone's ever worked in the industry, like or had any kind of touch with anything with that, it's par for the course. It is what it is. We were small time and we were the very small time part of the production crew, my company. And, you know, we were losing control of everything and we weren't happy about it. And we were really, really, because we were also dying financially. It's not like it was paying us so much money we could put up with it. We were getting, bills weren't getting paid at home. I'm 27 years old, 28, trying to live a life. So it was falling apart and we were about to just quit. We were about to call it and say, look, get a different crew to do all your production aspect of it. Cause we're out. You can have it. We're done. And I had a dream 
one night while we were in the throes of deciding if we were going to keep going back on the road. And I had this weird dream. And this is why I tell you it's almost uncomfortable for me to share because you guys might think I'm nuts or I'm woo-woo, but like, I just think it's valuable. I had this dream where I was like being essentially riding through an area surrounded by water. And in this water, there were all of these deceased soldiers. And these soldiers were coming out of this water towards me. And it was, you know, in the dream, I actually wasn't scared of it. It was more like I was seeing something as opposed to being like attacked by something. And I come out the other side of this little area, riding through whatever it was I was on. And there's an old man standing there on the ocean facing West. It would have been the Pacific ocean facing West, looking at the sun setting over the ocean. And as I looked at him, I looked behind him and there were this, this part's just so weird to me, but there was a, um, there were two warriors fighting on the beach behind him. One of them was a Japanese samurai and the other one was a Chinese she warrior, which is kind of the equivalent of Japanese samurai. And I was like, that's very odd. And I'm looking at these like literally deceased people that have come up next to me. Right. And I'm like, this is not, this is weird. And so anyway, I walk up to this old man and he turns and he looks at me and he's very old and he puts his arm on my shoulder, his right arm. And with his left arm, he points out across the ocean and he says, you have to keep going. You have to tell our story. And then I woke up. Okay. So I was like, this is one of those dreams that was so vivid it wasn't lucid. I wouldn't like, you know, thinking my way through it and controlling it. It wasn't a lucid dream, but it was just so vivid. It was so real. And so I like, it troubled me greatly, but I told all the guys about, I was like, what do y'all make of this? This is crazy. I had this crazy dream and we actually made the decision to be honest. I know this sounds crazy, but we made the decision to keep filming and keep going out on the road, at least for the time being. Because it seemed to contain a message of you have to keep going. You have to tell our story. And what are we doing? We're out there telling historical stories. We're telling people's stories. Had no context for the rest of it. The dead soldiers coming out of the water, Japanese, Chinese soldiers fighting each other. That don't make a damn bit of sense. Well, we get this call and they're like, do you want to come to the World War II um, Pacific Theater Museum? It's the only one in the mainland United States to the very last reunion of soldiers, of, of sailors that were in the Pacific War fleet. And we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. None of this, I'm not thinking anything, right? Like, yeah, we have to go do that. So we like veered off course for what this whole episode was going to be about. We had to refigure the whole concept, the theme and everything was going to be one thing. And it became another thing because this opportunity was there. So we go down and we get to go through here in the Pacific War Museum. You got guys, you got the a midget sub, Japanese midget sub there in the museum, which actually participated in Pearl Harbor. You can go right by it and see it. They have other things, artifacts from Pearl Harbor. Um, and this is all in Fredericksburg because um, Nimitz, cat, what was he? Was he? God, what was he? Commander. He was the commander of the Pacific fleet, but Nimitz was born in Fredericksburg. So they have this museum committed to dedicated to the Pacific war theater. Cause there was a couple of different theaters in world war two, if you'll recall. And this whole thing is going on. We go in there and it's, it's amazing. They have an amazing museum guys. You have to check this out. But what ended up happening is we got to interview a bunch of people that were fought in the Pacific war theater. And these guys are getting really old. 
Like we were back in 09, 010, we were losing a lot of people. Like there was very few left World War II veterans. Um, and we got to interview one man and that guy survived the attack in Pearl Harbor. He was on one of the ships in Pearl Harbor. He was there and he told stories to us that made us cry on camera. Like me, my co-host, look over at our camera guy, Jorbo, sound guy, Jose, everyone had tears or at least watery eyes because this guy told stories that I'm not going to tell you here because I'm just not going to make it that, that dark. But he told us stories of what he saw and what happened that day in Pearl Harbor firsthand eyewitness account. And it meant apparently so much to him to be able to tell this story and know that at least all these people in Europe were going to see it. Like, you know, we never got distributed in the U S or anywhere else, but at least a bunch of people in Europe were going to get to see this. And he, it meant a lot to him to get to tell his story to a broader audience. And his daughter stayed in touch with me for years after that in emails up until he passed a few years later about what it meant to her and to him and what she was doing to try to continue the legacy of all these, these soldiers that fought and died in the Pacific world theater and the ones that survived and everything that they went through with that, you know, survivor's guilt and stuff. But anyway, it was very meaningful. It was a big, important thing to them. And it dawned on me after the fact, not while we were there, it dawned on me after the fact, when we kind of had it all in front of us in a tangible format of what we had just done on that last shoot that I was like, Oh my God, I'm going through an area where all these dead soldiers are coming out of the water, Pearl Harbor y'all. Um, now I didn't look like Pearl Harbor. But my point is there were many, many died in those waters and drowned in those waters. And they're coming out of the water. I get to an old man who has a Japanese and a Chinese warrior fighting behind him. Y'all, do you know why World War II started in the Pacific theater? Do you know what the biggest preponderance of all that came from? It was a war between Japan and China. That's true story. Go look it up. A lot of people don't know that. It's like it, World War II history for a lot of people started with Pearl Harbor. That's not where it started. Um, it started earlier and it started between the Chinese and the Japanese. We're standing at the Pacific Ocean looking west across the Pacific Ocean, looking at the sunset in the Pacific Ocean towards Hawaii, towards Japan, towards that direction. Things I never was seen. And this old, old, old man's got his arm on my shoulder saying, you can't quit now, basically. Don't stop now because you have to tell our story. And like a week later, with no way of knowing that it would ever take that turn, this episode was about something completely different. We're standing there with an old man that fought in a war in the Pacific Ocean telling his story. And that, to me, I don't know how you can write that off as some kind of a strange coincidence. It is what it is. Think what you will of me. But I wanted to share that story because I don't know, man, like it just there's so much crazy context to that. There's so much to that, that I just think that there's a lot of value in to consider. And I just wanted to put it out there. I don't know. I just wanted to share it. Anyway, we got to do this whole episode where we got to check out the World War II Pacific Theater Museum, which you guys should check out if you get to go to Fredericksburg. Go see what I saw. Go see what I was there for. Go see that midget sub. Go see all of the, the replica things. Go and see all the actual artifacts. Go and see um, this beautiful, beautiful campus they have for this World War II Museum. Fredericksburg, Enchanted Rock, the Texas Hill Country, 
all of these things combined, guys, there's so much down there in the Texas Hill Country, Brackettville, so many other places, Dripping Springs. There's so much in the Hill Country. If you love wildflowers, if you love bats flying out of caves in mass, if you love birding, if you love hiking, if you love anything, if you love drinking, go to Fredericksburg. Y'all, there's so much. There's a little bit for everyone. There's something for the bougie traveler to go treat yourself all the way down to the avid adventurer that wants to get out there and really, really explore something and see some absolutely beautiful, natural wonder all the way to the extremely spiritual person that wants to go experience what it's like to be at a place revered by native Americans and everyone that's come since alike in enchanted rock. There's so much down there to go and check out. Anyway, now that I told way too personal of a story that some people will probably think that I'm nutso after listening to that, um, let's wrap up this episode. I'm looking at my camera here. It's at 32, 33 minutes. We got a full hour episode out of tonight, it looks like. So let's wrap it up, y'all. Texas Hill Country, my final overview of it is everyone should go spend some time there. Put you together a plan for yourself. Google it up. And go and put yourself together a plan because you're going to love the things that you can get into in the Texas Hill Country. I remember it very, very fondly. And I look forward to going back to it again someday with a whole new itinerary of new things to see. It's one of those places you could go back to over and over again. But let's get on and let's wrap this show up so you guys can get on to the rest of your day, the rest of your night, whatever it is you're doing out there and get out there and live your life. Go do some of this stuff that we talk about. I again deeply appreciate. And I mean that I say it every episode. It's not lip service. I sincerely appreciate everyone that is listening. Every one of you that have liked, subscribed, commented. I love the interaction. You guys get in touch with me. Let's talk about stuff. I love the human connections that I'm getting to make from this because that's what drives me through life in a lot of ways. I think that's a part of my thing here in this world. It's just to, to, to connect to people. Um, so get a hold of me. Let's talk about it. You guys can go and check out the webpage. If you want to see any of my photography links to, um, my Instagram, where most of my most current photography stuff is, you can see the YouTube videos. There are videos of basically everything I've ever done that we talk about here on the show, except for this, because this is 12, 14 years ago, and I don't have access to those source files for that anymore. That is owned copyrighted material that I'm not allowed to use because we did quit that show few episodes later. Um, but anything else, go to waywardstories.com. If you got any stories of your own, contact us at mywaywardstory at gmail.com. And yeah, guys, I mean, that's going to do it for this week. I enjoyed the hell out of making this episode. I hope you guys enjoyed listening to it. And we'll catch you again in two weeks where we'll have some new, fresh content for you guys to feast upon. Until then, you guys get out there and live some of this life and remember to be good to each other. <laughs>